Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, good morning. So it was about, uh, about this time last year, I don't, I don't, I'm not good with dates, but it was about this time last year that Deacon Rich and I and some parishioners, we left on that trip to the Holy Land. It was the second time I, I went to the Holy Land. The first time was 2017 um, with a group of priests. I'd love to go back if, uh, if all of, you know, all that stuff could calm down. I'd love to go back one day. If you ever get the chance to go, you have to go. You have to go. It's an unbelievable experience. They say that it's the fifth gospel. You know, you've got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then the fifth Gospel is the holy land itself, the terrain itself, seeing the places themselves. It just makes everything that you read in the Scriptures just pop to life. It goes from like a 2D regular book to like this pop-up 3D book. It's an incredible experience. You can picture the places and the sounds and what did it smell like at the seashore of Galilee. You can get that in your mind and in your memory. So anyway, a few years ago, that first trip back in 2017, with that group of brother priests, we went and uh, one of the parts of the trip was we, we sat inside this cave that's on the, um, the shore of the Sea of Galilee. So the Sea of Galilee, it's, it's just a big lake, right? In scriptures, sometimes we read Lake Gennesaret or things like that. It's just a big lake. But there's, a, there's this cave that exists in the, uh, the side of the, the hill there. There's not a lot of naturally existing caves. It's called the Eremos Cave. And it's been venerated by Christians since the earliest of centuries as a pilgrimage spot. You can see tiny little crosses carved into the the wall of the cave. Why would they have venerated this spot? Well, because, in all likelihood, this is the spot where today's gospel happened. Where he went early in the morning to a deserted place and prayed. When we were there, we, the group of us, a few of us, we rose early in the morning and we got coffee, um, which I don't think Jesus did, but we got coffee and we went to the cave and sat inside the mouth of this cave and watched the sun come up over the hills of Galilee and watching the sun spill down into the valley and just dance across the water. It was absolutely, absolutely extraordinary. In fact, it, the, the image that I gave Dan to put on the TVs for this weekend, it's a picture that I took from inside the cave looking out over the seashore, over the mountains in the, in the distance. So if you happen to be walking out and see that image, that's, that's what this moment looked like. That's what you're seeing. That's, what, that's where this took place. So he says, early rising in the morning, before dawn, he left and went off to this deserted place where he prayed. That's what I want to talk about this morning, friends. Jesus' prayer. Jesus' prayer. Kind of back to basics this morning. I, I just want us to contemplate what this moment means and to see what's actually happening there and to see the invitation, the, the call that's at the heart of, of prayer. Because I think if we spend a little bit of time contemplating Jesus' prayer in the cave, it's going to offer us a really helpful and really necessary corrective, I think, to the way that we approach when we go to our cave, so to speak, to pray. Because I think what Jesus was doing and what, what we end up often doing is, is very different things. I want to start with this. So St. John Paul II, before he died, obviously, when he was still the Pope, 
He wrote a pastoral letter for the church for the new millennium. As the church was moving into the 2000s, the third millennium of the church, he wrote a document called Novo Millennio Inuente. Novo Millennio Inuente. It's effectively his pastoral plan for the church for the next thousand years. Like what the church, what our mission is going to be. We talk about strategic planning in the corporate world, in the church world. This is the Pope's strategic plan for the church for the, first, for the next thousand years. And we are exactly 24 years into the next thousand years. So we got a lot of time for this plan to take root. But in Novo Millennio Inuente, he roots, he, he plots out this vision for the church by rooting everything in deep contemplative prayer. In deep contemplative prayer. Then he adds this, and this is so critical. He's speaking to you as the lady. He says, it would be wrong to think that ordinary Christians can be content with a shallow prayer that is unable to fill their whole life. I'm going to read that again. Just try and absorb this. This is the Pope beckoning you, not condemning you, not shaming you, beckoning you to see a different vista, a different horizon. It would be wrong to think that ordinary Christians can be content with a shallow prayer that is unable to fill their whole life especially in the face of the many trials to which today's world subjects faith, they would be not only mediocre Christians, but Christians at risk. Christians at risk. At risk for what is the question, right? At risk for what? At risk for being hollowed out so that the only thing that remains is this external husk of Christianity, that it's something empty on the inside, that it's just this hollow shell, like the appearance of faithfulness, the appearance of being good, the appearance of faithfulness, while like the inner dynamism, the inner passion, the inner love, the inner movements, all of that is died down. That's what he's talking about. At risk for being willing to abandon him, at risk for being willing to walk away from him, at risk for being willing, like unwilling to suffer for him, to suffer for the faith, at risk for apostatizing saying, this is not what I believe. Fine, I'll prefer comfort to standing up for the faith. I'll prefer my pleasure. I'll prefer my reputation rather than standing up for this, right? At risk for letting the fire die out. That's what he's saying. We're at risk for that. Think about a marriage. Think of a marriage. When, it, when is a marriage at risk? When is a marriage at risk? When, when the spouses cease talking to each other, when they, when they put up walls and they stop sharing from the depth of their hearts when they stop communicating. There is no communion without communication. This side of paradise, there is no, communicate, no communion without communication because we're not angels. We have to communicate to have communion. A marriage is at risk when they, when they the couple, let that inner fire of love that brought them to the altar, when they let that die out. It's the same thing with our relationship with the Lord, which means that the Pope is saying that prayer is the dynamic of communication that establishes communion within this spousal relationship between heaven and earth. Like this whole encyclical, the whole encyclical is a call to hear Christ's words that he says, when he says, put out into the deep. That's how John Paul II launches the church in the third millennium. Duke in Altum, put out into the deep. Put out into the deep. And then he contrasts this, this call to 
that he contrasts this like risk of being in the shallows to the to the call of what's actually being offered. I want you to listen to this. This is what the Pope is saying. This is what the church is saying. This is where prayer will lead you. This is where it's headed. The great mystical tradition of the church, of both East and West, has much to say in this regard, regarding prayer. It shows how prayer can progress, progress as a genuine dialogue of love to the point of rendering the person wholly possessed by the divine beloved, vibrating at the Spirit's touch, resting filially. That means like a child, resting like a child within the Father's heart. This is the lived experience. This is what he's saying. This is the lived experience of what Jesus, is, what Jesus promises. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. It is a journey, he says, thanks be to God, totally sustained by grace. Totally sustained by grace. Which nonetheless demands an intense spiritual commitment on our part and is no stranger to painful purifications. That's why we stop, because it's hard. But it leads, he says finally, in various and possible ways to the ineffable joy experienced by the mystics as nuptial union. He's not talking to nuns. He's not talking to priests. He's not talking to Carmelites or people who are cloistered away. He's not talking to Carthusians or hermits. He's talking to you with your jobs and your kids and your struggles and the cat who has diabetes. He's talking to you with all the things that are happening in your life. He's saying that your prayer life, it's meant to lead to what the saints call mystical nuptial union, an ineffable joy. That's where this is all headed. That's, where, that's what is being held out to us. It's not just reserved to the spiritual elite, but to the lay faithful, to be wholly possessed, he says, by the Spirit. Like demonic possession, we saw last week Jesus exercising a demon. Demonic possession is the, is the diabolical mockery, the inversion of what God intends for each of us, which is holy possession. To be wholly filled and possessed by the Spirit. As some of the saints says, as Teresa of Avila says, as John of the Cross says, it's to be totally intoxicated on the wine of God's love. Is it any wonder when, then, when Pentecost falls upon the apostles, they go out into the streets and they're filled with the love of God and the only thing that the people around them can conclude is these men must be drunk. And, and they say, hey, can't be drunk because it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I bet any. They weren't drunk on any wine. It was the sober intoxication of the Spirit. So the question is, how do we get there? If that's the destination, how do we get there? Let's get back to this gospel. Rising very early before dawn, he left and went off to a deserted place where he prayed. What was he doing in that cave? Let me ask a related but different question. When you go to pray, when you go to your cave, what are you doing? What are you doing? Because I ask that because one of the very common things that I hear as your priest is this phrase, saying my prayers that a lot of us are very concerned about saying our prayers. Saying one's prayers is a very beautiful 
and very important part of the spiritual life. We have magnificent prayers in our tradition, magnificent devotion. So don't please hear me as saying, none of those are good, that's bad. That's not what I'm saying. They're beautiful, they're important. But there's a huge difference between saying your prayers and praying like Jesus is praying in this gospel. Just as we can see readily that there's a huge difference between reading scripted dialogue and a heart-to-heart conversation. There's a huge difference. Like As a faithful Jew, did Jesus say his prayers? Yes, every single day he was saying his prayers. Shema Yisrael, the Lord your God is Lord alone. He, he was saying his prayers, but it did not stop there. I'm certain it didn't end there. He went away to this cave to be with his father. The deserted place was not a place of solitude. It was a place of communion. The desert, if you look at the Old Testament, the desert, the deserted places are not places of emptiness and solitude. They're places of romance, places of communion, places of deep encounter. He's going to this deserted place to be with his father, to put himself in a position, in a posture, in a place to be loved. It's like he put himself beneath the crashing cataracts of a waterfall to allow this love to come drenching upon him. He went to this place so that he could hear his father's voice. To let the silence be drowned out so they could hear his father's voice, so he could see his father's eyes, so he could see his father's smile. Like in that, in that cave, in that quiet, he cracked open his heart to let it all out. To let it all out. I love, there's a, there's a line in the letter to the Hebrews where the author of the Hebrews is describing for us what Jesus' prayer was like. What Jesus' prayer was like. He says this, and it's astounding. In the days of his flesh, meaning when he was among us, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and with tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard for his godly fear. Like, I read that and I think, is that what I sound like in prayer? Is that what you often sound like? Loud cries, bemoaning, wailing, tears. He sounds like a wailing infant. Is that how you sound? I think more often than not, we filter our prayers through so many layers of these false images of God. Like we say to ourselves, I can't, I can't say that because, well, you're God, right? I can't, I can't tell you what I'm really thinking, what I'm really feeling, what I'm really desiring, what I'm really yearning for. I can't tell you about what I did over the weekend. I can't tell you about the internet searches I'm doing. I can't, I can't be that honest with you. I can't... Like, I want to be angry with you, but I can't be angry with you because you're God. I want to be rude. I want to be short-tempered. I want to be all these things. But we tell ourselves, I can't be that way because you're God. And you don't talk to God that way. Like, we hear the voices of our own parents who say, you don't talk to me that way. Now, granted, I understand why moms and dads say that. But a child who feels the freedom to let it out and to say hard and scary and heavy things to their mom or dad is a child who believes in the security of his or her mom and dad's love. He's saying, let it out. What we end up doing is we end up sounding, we end up looking like and sounding like these kids in some fancy British finishing school. Like, very, very pious, very polished, like, 
photoshopped, airbrush filter, all of it. And Jesus is over there in his cave with his father who adores him, letting himself be loved, cracking open his heart to cry out full-throated to him and his desires and his dreams. He's letting it all out, his yearnings, his sufferings, filtering nothing, withholding nothing of it. And then within that dialogue of love, he receives the father's love and delight. Friends, just yesterday, after, after the... Five o'clock mass, I was reposing the Blessed Sacrament in the chapel. And I witnessed one of the most beautiful moments of prayer I've ever stumbled upon. It was a parishioner. She was kneeling there, waiting for Jesus to come into the chapel with her two little kids, a little boy, a little girl. They go to our school. And I'm bringing Jesus in. I put him in the Blessed Sacrament. And they, they both kneel. All three of them kneel. I put Jesus in the monstrance. And before I could genuflect or start walking away, the little girl, hands folded, she just starts talking to Jesus about her Barbie dolls. She got some new Barbies. And she was telling Jesus all about the Barbies and what they're wearing and the colors. And purple's my favorite color. And then she said, Jesus, what's your favorite color? She's probably five years old. She would not stop sharing her heart. It was prayer. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Friends, look, I don't want us to be Christians at risk. I don't want us to live in the shallows. I want to invite us into the depths. Like, that's, that's my whole heart for you. It's my whole heart for you. That's my whole heart for this, parish, for this parish. My whole heart for your marriages. Like, to come into the depths. To not just be satisfied with the shallows. Not to be satisfied with a shallow prayer life. Or a casual relationship with Jesus. Because not, no amount of casual contact with Jesus is ever going to change you or it's ever going to change the world. If you want to get soaked by Niagara Falls, get on Made in the Mist and get under the falling water. Most of us are just like, I'll stand on the shore. I'm just saying, get on the boat. Let's get soaked. Let's get soaked. He's inviting us, Duke and Altum, put out into the deep. And I know, like, part of why we don't want to do it, part of why we throw up our, our hackles, part of the reason why we say, I'll just settle for the shallows, is because we're just afraid of what's in the deep. We're afraid of what's deep down inside of us because there's wounds and hurts from our past and memories we'd rather not revisit. Just all the weird, scary sea monsters, they don't live in the shallows. They live in the deep. The things with, like, the, the, the angler fish and the light. You know what I'm talking about, right? Give me this if you know what I'm talking about. Okay. The weirdest and the scariest stuff lives in the deep. The weirdest and the scariest stuff in you, it lives in the deep. Just like a few weeks ago, Jesus asked the question, what do you desire? Jesus is telling you, put into the deep. If you want to know where he is inside of your heart, he's waiting for you at the lowest place. That's why we go to a deserted place, not to just say words at him, but to finally get to a place where we're still enough and quiet enough, where we can descend into the depths of our hearts with him and be honest, to let it out, to dialogue, a genuine dialogue of love, which, as the Pope said, progresses to this nuptial union, ineffable joy. Friends, this is the invitation from the Lord.
to follow him to that cave, to go down into the deep. That's where he's waiting. Let us not, let us not be Christians at risk. Let us not be Christians afraid of the deep or afraid of silence or afraid of dialogue. He is a God who speaks and he's speaking to you. Amen.